Well, we, if, if we adore him, we'll want to listen to him. So let's turn in our Bibles, if you have a Bible there, to Isaiah. It's page Isaiah 11, end of 10. We're just going to pick up on the reading, read a few verses to get some background and context. It's page 696, if you're using the church Bibles. We're reaching the end of this section of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 12. Some great encouragements and promises, but also some very sober warnings in this section of Isaiah. Warnings to God's people, north and south, Israel and Judah. The end of chapter 10, verse 33. A very sober word. See the Lord, the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The chainsaw, magnificent. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And yet a word of hope, 11.1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. One of the stumps will actually produce a shoot. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is a person. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And then a new world is described. We pick it up in verse 10. In that day. The root of Jesse, the same person from that root he comes, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant. Verse 16, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust And not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Let's pray together.
Our Father, we have sung that we adore you and your great Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to prove our adoration by listening to you as you speak to us through your word. And may you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Why praise the Lord? Well, it sounds a very religious question, doesn't it? Praise. But in fact, we do praise all the time, don't we? Whenever we say something or someone is great, we're praising them. If you say, that's a beautiful dress you're wearing, that's praise. Um, I love your tan, where have you been? It's praise. If Edinburgh beat London Irish, you might praise your team if you support them. Or you might say, Edinburgh's a beautiful city. That's praise. Well, I wonder if your heart is full of praise today. Is this a church full of praise as we think of the turning of the year at the anniversary? Christians are people of praise, but why? Well, I want to find three reasons, us to see three reasons that the prophet Isaiah gives as to why we should be people of praise and join in that great song of praise in chapter 12 of Isaiah. The first reason why we should be people of praise if we're Christians is because we see the danger that we need to be rescued from and if we're Christians have been rescued from. We see the danger. Now, um, one of the elders was telling us he's just got back from a cruise. Um, I assume it wasn't on the Costa Concordia. Uh, I don't think it was. But... I don't know how those people, those thousands of people who were rescued from that cruise ship felt as they looked back, perhaps when they got home and they looked on the internet or the news and saw that ship as it is now, a wreck on its side. And thought, wow, was I on that? You know, when I got on the ship and and went on the cruise, I had no idea of the danger I was placing myself in. Now, for the people of God in Isaiah's day... uh, There was a danger because the the great empire of Assyria in the north, to the north and the east, I suppose Iraq, roughly where in our day would be the same territory. They were rattling their saber or whatever they did in those days and that was a real danger and a threat and they were going to come and be used by God to, to punish his people. And yet, the real danger was not Assyria. But rather, as as we were discovering last week, The danger is God and his wrath. So chapter 10, verse 5. Woe to the Assyrian. How are they described? The rod of my anger. God is speaking. It's his anger. God's anger he's talking about. Assyria, second half of the verse, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him, that's Assyria, against a godless nation, that's Israel. I dispatch him against a people who anger me. And God sends an ominous message, repeated like a slow drumbeat at a state funeral. You see it in in chapter 9, verse 12, the end of the verse, Yet for all this, God's anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. 
Verse 17, end of the verse, the same. His anger is not turned away. Verse 21, end of the verse. Chapter 10, verse 4, the same refrain. Yet for all this, God's anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. And so just as a couple of chapters earlier, Judah had been condemned. So now Israel in the north is guilty. And and Isaiah goes through arrogance, bad leadership, viciousness within society, oppression. These are all listed. But there's a fascinating twist in the tale. Chapter 10, verse 25. God's anger is redirected against the very Assyrians whom he's using as the rod and the club of his anger. So chapter 10, verse 23, verse 24 rather. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says. O my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians who beat you with a rod. And lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Yes, it's it's the rod of my anger, the club of my wrath. But remember this, very soon my anger against you will end. And my wrath will be directed to their destruction. Now as we were learning last week, this is a stark lesson, isn't it? That the real danger in world history, in church history, in our personal history is to find that God's anger is not turned away from us. There is no more dangerous place to be than there. And we may even be used by God in his purposes, like Assyria was. But that does not exempt us. Just turn for a moment to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's on page 1186. Sorry, it's not on the... uh, Projection, but it's, it's 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, page 1186 if you're using the church Bibles. Because when we fast forward to the Christian era, the era in which we live, it's not that God has changed his character. He is still a God who reveals his wrath every day. But the wonder of the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, which came to the people of Thessalonica through the Apostle Paul, is this. He reports in verse 9 of what had happened to them, the, the kind of reception they gave to the apostles with this message of salvation through Jesus Christ. They tell, verse 9, how you turned to God from idols, To serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus. Who rescues us. From the coming wrath. Jesus who rescues us. From the coming wrath. And if we're Christians this morning. Or if we're inquiring about what the Christian faith is really about. We need to be so clear on this. That there is a day of wrath coming. And the amazing reality is that if our trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to be rescued from that coming wrath. It is coming. It's coming down the tracks towards us. Make no mistake about it. But there is rescue through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see that danger? Do we realize that even if we're Christian people here this morning, by rights we are objects of God's wrath. 
That were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, standing in the, in the way and deflecting the wrath of God and taking the force of his wrath on the cross, we would be hit. You see, the people who boarded that cruise liner in Italy a couple of weeks ago, they, they didn't see the danger of shipwreck. But they see it now, looking back. You know, we will never truly praise the Lord as he should be praised if we've never realized that God was angry with me. That our basic problem as sinners is not our sin, but the wrath of God against our sin. It's not just that we leave God out and try to run our own lives, but that God reacts to that by saying, you cannot do that. I am displeased with that. Why praise the Lord? When we see the danger from which we've been rescued. Where do we go for rescue? Well, back to Isaiah. It's still on page 696, 697. Where we go is we rally to the king. Chapter 11 of Isaiah. Now, it's not until we get to chapter 53 of Isaiah that we get clarity about how God will save his people from danger, from his anger. As the perfect king, the Messiah, becomes the suffering servant. But from early on in Isaiah, we're given repeated signals that salvation lies in the hands of a perfect king. Isaiah's very tough and hard message against the southern kingdom, kingdom Judah, in chapters 7, 1 through 9, 7, climaxed with a message of hope in the shape of an ideal ruler, the Prince of Peace. And the message against the northern kingdom, Israel, ends with a similar picture of hope in chapter 11 through a, a new ruler, one on whom the Spirit of the Lord will rest, who will bring about a new world. And the description in chapter 11 is, is of one who is supremely wise, verses 1 to 3. Completely just in his rule and regime, verses 3 to 5. Who will bring in a totally new world, verses 6 to 9. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the goat, etc. It's counterintuitive. This shouldn't be that these things should go together as, as we understand how the world is. Israel is described at the end of chapter 10 as, as like a forest that's been destroyed. An array of tree stumps. You can imagine it. I'm, uh, the film Avatar has those kind of scenes. Or if you've seen pictures of the sections of the Amazon rainforest where the loggers have gone in and just destroyed the trees and there's just a series of stumps. But from one particular shoot, a stump, sorry, one particular stump, get this right, a shoot is coming up which is going to branch and bear fruit. Chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Jesse, of course, King David's father. And if you fast forward again, just a quick cross-reference to Luke chapter 1. It's not long after Christmas, is it? And we remember, perhaps this is one of the readings you read at Christmas, about the angel coming to Mary. Sorry, to... Um, where are we? Yes, it's to Mary, isn't it? In chapter 1, verse... 29 and following, talking about this, this child who would be a son, to be given the name Jesus, God saves, is what the name means. Verse 32, he will be great and we'll be called the son of the most high. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, Jesse's son. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So this is the one who's going to be given a kingdom, David's kingdom, Jesse's son's kingdom. That's the, the stump of Jesse growing up. The root is Jesse's root. And back to chapter 11 of Isaiah. What is significant, says Isaiah, about this, this one who will come from the stump of Jesse? Well, look at chapter 11, verse 10. In that day, the, the one who, whose root is in Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations and the nations will rally to him. Verse 10, a banner for the nations. What does a banner look like? Well, here's a picture of a banner. Or two. Guess what's just happened in Murrayfield? Scotland have scored a try against. <laughs> Who do you think they've just scored against? Why do you say England? Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is just after Scotland have scored a try against England. What happens? The banners go up and are waved. And all the Scots, the English maybe not so much, um, rally to the banner. It's something every culture does. It's not foreign to us. Well, here is a banner, says the prophet Isaiah, that all the nations will come to. Not just the Scots when they scored against the English. But all nations will gladly come to this banner and wave it and stand under it and say, yep, this is what we are celebrating. The banner of someone who is a supremely wise ruler, who has a completely just regime, who is going to bring in a totally new world. The rulers of this world come and go. Think of Gaddafi in the last year and others. They may lead a revolution, but their lack of wisdom is soon exposed. The justice of their regime is never perfect, always imperfect. They never bring in the new world order they promise. Dare I say it, even the leaders of Scots' independence will fail should Scotland get its independence. It will not be a brand new world. Don't fool yourselves. I'm not saying you shouldn't have it. Don't misunderstand me. But it will not bring in the new world that we long for in our heart of hearts. No, we're having to wait for that day. Verse 10 of 11, in that day, something's going to happen. There's going to be a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, verse 11, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant of his people. Verse 16, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. When is that day? But it's the day when the Lord reaches out his hand to reclaim his believing remnant. Fulfilled supremely in our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course one of the great shocks as the, the scriptures develop and progress is that we discover this day is split. That we're actually in the day, in the middle of the day so to speak. Because it begins with the Lord's first coming, it ends with his second coming. 
The son who is born is a mighty God, prince of peace. His government will never end. We would be wise to rally to him as our king, to truly rely on him. It's interesting, isn't it, when we face a crisis in life, or maybe it's just uncertainty. It tests our faith, doesn't it? Where, where are we putting our confidence? How do we react? Well, the people of Israel had huge issues in terms of national security, what was going to happen. They were told that the Assyrians were definitely going to come and clobber them, and it happened a few years later. This is written maybe 10 or 15 years before the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C., Well, we're not facing that particular kind of issue, but I'm sure we're facing issues. We're facing issues as a church. The future, there are possibilities, exciting ones, about moving building. But is that going to be the issue, or is it going to actually be an issue of rallying to the Lord Jesus and his cause, not the cause of this building or that building or whatever? Or more personally, maybe you're facing some real issues, a health scare. Or issues at work. Or a family crisis. Maybe the grind of life is getting to you. Or stress, depression. Or just the slow decline of old age. What do we do when we face these issues? Is it a frenzy of self-help? Or a calm reliance on the King, Jesus? You see, we're not only saved by faith if we're Christians. We live by faith. It is a practical approach to the daily challenges of life. But we need to rally to the king. And when we rally to the king and discover his rescue, his rest, his glorious place of rest, 1110. His hand reached out to reclaim us as part of his remnant. Then we will praise the Lord. Why praise the Lord? Well, first of all, he's helped us see the danger we were in. Secondly, he's called us to a rallying place to find rescue. I'm sure you looked at some of the images of that um, cruise ship and, and the rescue from the Costa Concordia, but one of the ones that really struck me was that night vision one, the infrared picture. Do you remember seeing that of the upturned hull and the the, the people on the top of the hull and this line of people going down to the the ladder? I presume it was a rope ladder that was going down the side to rescue. And one by one they had to go down, hundreds and hundreds of them. They had wisely rallied to the assembly point, waiting for rescue. And if we rally to King Jesus and place our trust in him, we will thirdly, and this is the third and perhaps the biggest and best reason why we should praise the Lord, we will experience salvation, chapter 12. The experience of salvation. Now the experts tell us that the you of verse 1 is a singular you. This is individual praise. In that day, you individually will say, I will praise you, O Lord. And there's a a wonderful sequence. Do you see it in chapter 12, verse 1? In that day, you, yes, you individually will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. 
Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Divine anger is real and here it is recognized. This is someone who's rejoicing in their salvation but they're not unaware of the fact that God is a God of real anger. You were angry with me and rightly so. And we will never truly praise the Lord if we've not realized that God was angry with me. But wonderfully, verse 1, your anger has turned away. Divine anger has been removed. And when we realize that, if we're Christians, then again, what a cause of praise that although God was rightly angry with me, that anger has been turned away and been replaced, as the end of verse 1 puts it, with comfort. You have comforted me. Divine comfort in the place of divine anger. No wonder the the writer can say and encourages everyone who has rallied to the Lord Jesus to say, surely, verse 2, God is my salvation. My salvation, a personal experience of this rescue. So, verse 2, I will trust and not be afraid. What are you afraid of? I think it's true to say that at any moment of our lives there there are things that we're afraid of. Maybe it's just uncertainty about the future. Maybe it's some of the things mentioned earlier. Health or stress, depression, work issues. There are always reasons to be afraid, aren't there? And we have to come back again and again to this statement. Surely if God is my salvation, I will trust And not be afraid. Faith in a God who has saved us is a faith that results in fearlessness. It removes fear. And replaces fear with a song. Verse 2, the Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. For the one who is saved experiences God as the one who daily gives fresh strength. And becomes our joyful song. Again, let me ask you if you're a Christian here this morning. Is that your experience? Fresh strength as you face maybe another day, maybe another week. Maybe you're dreading tomorrow. Whatever it holds. You think, I just can't cope. I'm not going to manage. But if we are rallying to this Lord who has saved us. He is the one who is my strength. Because the end of Isaiah 40 says, when we trust in him, when we wait for him, when our hope is in him, then we will soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not be faint. So we can say, as the end of verse 2 puts it, the Lord has become my salvation. The suggestion being assurance. He has become it. It's a past tense. It's not something I'm hoping for. I am hoping for the fulfillment of salvation, but I can say with confidence, now I am a saved person. That's if you're a Christian. The Lord has become my salvation. Let me ask you again. Are you experiencing this? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus? Is your fear constantly removed like a waste bin that's emptied every day? Is your strength constantly renewed, like a a battery that's recharged every day? Is joy constantly welling up in your soul, 
like a mountain spring. Now, salvation must begin with the individual. Just coming along to a group event like this does not give you the ticket. There's no group ticket when it comes to salvation. But salvation never ends with the individual. It is a corporate event. So verse 3, the the experts tell us that there's there's a shift from you singular to you plural in verse 3. With joy, you, he's now addressing the nation, the believers. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. And no doubt the imagery is, is referring back to the time when Israel traveled in salvation experience from Egypt to the promised land through the desert, stopping at each oasis to draw water. And what a joy it was when they found the next oasis. And so we, if we're the people of God, if we are Christians, and as together we gather even this morning, we together enjoy drawing water from the wells of salvation. Isn't it wonderful to sing God's praise together as we have done this morning? Not just to do it on our own, but to do it with others, to encourage one another as we meet. What a privilege it is to be part of a church, a church like this. And as we reflect at a time of anniversary, the turning of the year, If you're part of this church, if you belong here, you have a reason to praise the Lord. That you can come Sunday by Sunday and draw water from the wells of salvation together as a corporate thing. Maybe you're not, maybe you're part of another church. Well, go back rejoicing that you belong to that church. Maybe you're not part of God's church. Maybe you're just here visiting or just not sure where you stand in relation to these things. Well, let me tell you how much you're missing out on the strength and the song and the joy which could be yours if only you would rally to King Jesus and stand under his banner. But this song of praise cannot be contained in this building or this hour. We have a song to sing and a story to tell, verse 4. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Salvation experienced must overflow into proclamation expressed. We cannot keep news of this salvation to ourselves. For the very thing which at the start of chapter 6 seemed impossible that a holy God could bear to live with unholy people like us. Why this is now the theme of our song. The great, verse 6, is the Holy One of Israel among us. Because he's found a way to save us. 
as will become clear as we go through Isaiah. Christ has borne our sins, borne our transgressions. Our iniquities have been laid on him. We like sheep, all of us have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is now the theme of our song. This is why we praise the Lord. What well, as Paul was saying, it's great, isn't it, to, to look and to pray for and to wait for and to take opportunities that the Lord gives us to tell others. And this is just a springboard of gathering like this to send us out into our schools and our colleges and our universities and our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our families that we might tell others this wonderful news of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how are you doing it? What are you, have you been to the Two Ways to Live course? Or are you familiar? Have you got your way of presenting the gospel? You don't have to do this course necessarily. There are other ways of, of learning. Maybe you've just learned through experience how to explain in a, in a nutshell the good news of the Lord Jesus just in two minutes or five or ten minutes or whatever it is. If you're not sure on that, then come to the course. If not this time, another time, soon. Get trained up. Look for opportunities. It's a great thing to learn that course, even if you don't actually use it as, as it is. I, I remember doing it years ago and learning it in, in London. And uh, very rarely using it. I think once an insurance salesman called to the door. and You know how they, they get out pieces of paper and they start drawing diagrams. And um, he had this uh, graph and he was showing me, you know, as your, your earnings go up and up and up. And I, I, was, I was just about to leave to go to Bible college. And I said, well, what if, uh, what if your earnings go like that? Sort of up and then straight down. What do you do then? And since he was a man into drawing diagrams, I, I used the two ways to live with him because it's a sort of diagrammatic explanation. I've no idea what he made of it, but I used it. Um, well, Christianity Explored, I, we use it like you do, and, and it occurred to me not so long ago, is, John, you've been living in this road of 50 houses for 18 years. You've never had much of an opportunity to explain the gospel to your neighbors. Why don't you have the courage to write to them and invite them to a course in your house? So back in October, I, I did that. My wife said, now be very careful what you put in the letter. So I tried to be very careful what I put in the letter. Uh, no pressure. And I slipped it through the door. I didn't ring the doorbell because I thought that's too much pressure. Uh, you know, face to face, especially the Irish, hard to say no, but they mean it. I was talking to a Cork man the other day who was saying the, 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 the way in Cork to say no is, I will, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, So I put it through the door and waited and prayed. Well, I think there are four people who want to do it. Isn't that thrilling? Uh, we're hoping to start in the next couple of weeks. I don't know if they'll come. There's a part of me. I'm afraid like you are. I'm no different from you. I'm a coward too. And I think they're not going to come. It's not going to happen. Well, we'll see. Please God, it will. Maybe in this day of, of the internet, it's a question of knowing the good websites. Do you know good websites to, to send people to? I'm, tracts are great. I'm a great believer in using them. But the internet is a wonderful tool for evangelism, isn't it? Get to know good websites. Things like bethinking.org, particularly if you're in the student world, but not just for students. Uh, Two Ways to Live has a website. There, there are all kinds of websites that you can refer people to when you get that opportunity of making known among the nations, verse 4, 
what the Lord has done. This is why we praise the Lord. We've seen the danger of God's anger if we're Christians. Maybe if you're not a Christian here, you need to see that. So that you will with us rally to the King, Jesus, the perfect ruler, who will bring justice and peace to our world at the end of time. And if you're a Christian here this morning, why not praise the Lord? Because we have experienced from salvation from God's anger through his glorious work through the Lord Jesus on the cross. And we will experience the perfect world when the King returns. In that day. That's why we'll praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a tsunami of praise spread out from this congregation, this gathering of God's people, this church. Our Father, as we head into another year and another church here, we pray that we would be people who are clear on why we praise you. We know that you are angry with us, but your anger has been turned away and you have comforted us instead. We know that we need to rally to the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ and that the nations will rally to him. And that we need to spread this good news of salvation through the Lord Jesus. Lord, if our mouths have become rather shut and our lips slow to speak of your salvation, would you open them up and quicken them that we might be a people of praise, not just singing songs together on a Sunday, wonderful as that is, but telling the news where it costs us to tell in the workplace, in the family, in our neighborhood, in our college. And we ask these things for the glory of the one to whom we rally and whose name will be praised above every name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.